You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Hey, my name is Ryan. For those of you that are new, welcome to North Valley. We're starting a brand new teaching series this morning called The Root of Riches. And what this is, it's really a, a, a guide for you to understand how to use what God's given you to give honor and glory to Him. Um, it's a practical theology. And what I mean by that, here's kind of a definition for practical theology. Uh, Practical theology is applying the timeless truths of God's word to all of life for everyday Christian living. What God has given you is an opportunity to use the resources that he's given you uh, to do a great deal of good by simply providing for the needs of your family, by stewarding and investing into ministry opportunities, uh, by sending kids to college potentially. Uh, Maybe some of you are going to encourage more of your kids to get uh, scholarships like my household uh, for the kids to start working hard now. Uh, but this morning I'm going to ask the question, what's at the root of what you believe about money? What do you really believe at, at about, uh, finances? Um, and the apostle Paul uses this phrase called root, uh, in his language to describe money. You've heard it said before, right? Um, the root of all evil is money. You've heard people say that money is the root of all evil. The Apostle Paul actually clarifies and says it's not at all that money is the root of all evil. It's the what? It's the love of money. So this morning what I want to do is I just want to uh, take the time to tell you uh, my hope and my heart is, is that what, we ha- what we'll do is we're going to look at what God's Word has to say um, and see how it can shape our thinking um, of our, our views, our, our understanding, our beliefs about uh, money and, and being wealthy and how God uses wealth, uh, about the rich, about how to steward finances, manage all that. Um, but also then to begin to probe and go below the surface like a root system that's maybe unseen to uh, the everyday uh, person, uh, but to see the root system of the heart and discover what do you truly, truly, truly love. See, we are perpetuating an ideology called the American dream that's completely counterintuitive uh, to a biblical worldview. And what we don't understand, I presume, uh, and I'm going to work hard this week and next week to convince you, is that we are rich financially as Americans, uh, financially as North Valians, um, did you like that, that North Valleyans? I just made that up. Here we go. I don't know what, else, what, what, what we could we call ourselves, the North Valleyites, maybe? Uh, not sure. If you come up with a good idea, email me on that. So, but we need to understand is that we uh, have a tremendous amount of wealth in comparison to world standards. Um, and again, it's really important. Jesus spends a lot of time talking about uh, finances and wealth. And over the next 
uh, this week and the next two weeks to come after this. I'm going to be continuing in, in this teaching series, and we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul's practical theology on uh, money and giving and stewarding money and managing money, all that. Um, additionally, we have a workshop that signed up on how to help you um, create a spending plan. That's a budgeting plan. Uh, we'll be offering that as well. So, my hope is, is that there's going to be that we're going to dive in and look at the root system that you have, your beliefs about money, um, seeing the danger of the American dream, and then upholding and pursuing a biblical world vision when it comes to money, wealth, and pursuit of riches. And uh, we're going to discover that uh, this morning some. And so uh, here's what we'll do this morning is I, I want to start with this uh, this uh, statement that you need to realize that you are rich and God wants you to know how to use your wealth, uh, to be good at it. From a global perspective, let me um, just enlighten you a moment. Uh, $34,000 of annual income would make you a globally elite person. Um, That can even be combined income. So if you're sitting here today and your household brings in more than that, then you're considered a globally elite. If you make something less of that, you're still considered rich from a global perspective. The average global income is about $1,200 a year. Uh, that's, that's about average. So if you're a beating that average, then you're going to be in the rich category from a global perspective pretty quick. You've heard uh, some comedians say you might be a redneck if. This morning, I'd like to introduce you with you might be rich if. You might be rich if you have food in your fridge from a global perspective. And let me just back up and just wait for a moment uh, to help level with you. Uh, For Christmas, my kids asked for all sorts of technological gadgets. We got the new, um, what, what is it? It's not Echo, it's... Alexa. There's my son's in the front row. Alexa. We got Alexa, the little sweet little thing, ask questions. And now my kids are having computer conversations with Alexa all the time. Um, That's what my kids wanted, those kind of things. And then we've got a little kid in the Dominican Republic that we're sponsoring, Jeffrey. Jeffrey's Christmas wish is more like this. I want to make sure I have food for this week. We're rich, okay? I'm rich. You're rich. We are so rich in comparison to the world around us. And my hope and prayer is, is that we're going to see this morning how dangerous it can be to pursue an American dream that perpetuates us accidentally into the love of money. And it can ruin good people, good, well-intended Christian families, sacrificing everybody on the altar of success. And Jesus has a lot to say about it. The Apostle Paul does. And we got to level and realize just how uh, rich we are in comparison to the world around us. If you have fridge, food in the fridge, you might be rich. If you have clothes on your back, you might be rich. If you have a roof over your head and a place to sleep, you might be rich. In fact, you're richer than 75% of the world. If you woke up this morning with more health than you did with illness, you just might be rich. You're more blessed than a million people who won't survive and they're going to die of a common cold this week. 
If you have never experienced the danger of battle, loneliness, imprisonment, agony, torture, pangs of starvation, you just might be rich. You're ahead of 20 million people around the world. If you attended church this morning without the fear of harassment or arrest or torture or death, you just might be rich. You're more blessed than almost 3 billion people around the world suffering in persecution for their faith. If you have money in the bank in your wallet and spare change somewhere in your house, you just might be rich. You're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you can read the words that are on the screen, you are more blessed than over 2 billion people in the world that cannot read anything at all. You just might be rich. We're rich. And there's a lot of danger with being rich. And there's danger with wanting more. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to expose you to the Apostle Paul's theology, his thinking and understanding of biblical truths for wealthy people. He says this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 18, he says, as for the rich in this present age, so he's speaking to the people in his congregation. He's encouraging Timothy to continue uh, to exhort and teach biblical truths. He says, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, that means to be arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. I'd paraphrase that. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches like the American dream. But on God, that's where you should set your hope. Focus on God, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Rich people, he says, they are to do good. He's telling the rich how to be good at it. They're to do good, to be rich in good works. Rich people, you and me, we've got to be good in good works and be what? Generous and ready to share. The important thing to understand from a biblical perspective is a couple of things, is that God does not uh, condemn the wealthy. He does not condemn money. He condemns the love of money. There's a lot of people that are very, very wealthy in the New Testament uh, that uh, have made their ways into uh, our scriptures as biblical examples of wealthy people. I'll name a few. Uh, you need to see yourself in this same light that you are rich. There was Joseph of Arimathea who donated his tomb for the burial of Jesus. He was rich. There was Zacchaeus who had a radical transformation. He was a wealthy business fraudster. He was cheating people. Then he comes to faith in Christ and becomes a generous man, repays everybody their debt. There's Joanna and Susanna in the New Testament. They provide out of their own resources to fund and fuel Jesus's ministry. There's women that accompanied Jesus's ministry, donated perfumes for his burial. There's Mary Magdalene who did the same. There's the Roman centurion who invested into the Jewish synagogues and helped with his finances uh, build a place of worship that he's uh, upheld as a wealthy business person who did did it right. There's Philemon who owned slaves' property and then forgave the runaway slave morally and financially in Philemon. There's Barnabas who gives his, he takes property, sells the property, and gives the contributions to kickstart the local church. God highlights in his word that you can be wealthy and rich and be good at it, but it's not in getting and gaining more and more and more for self. 
It's about giving and investing and serving and sharing. Let's look what the apostle Paul says. Look what he says. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Over the next few weeks, I'm gonna teach you how to be good at being rich. I'm gonna teach you what it means that I'm also gonna warn you about the desire to love money. If you love money, you're gonna find yourself in a heap of trouble. There is wealthy people that are also listed in the Old Testament as well. There's Abraham, there's Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, Jehoshaphat, King Hezekiah, and Job. Numbers of people are listed at it. The reality is this, is that most people are not good at being rich. They don't know how to manage their wealth. Sports Illustrated said this, that 78% of NFL players go broke after two years of retirement. 60% of NBA players are broke within five years of walking off the court. I guess the NBA players are a little smarter on how to manage their money. Uh, Most lottery winners go broke within months uh, of their winnings. Wealth and money is not always the answer at all. When it comes to uh, life, Jesus warns about it. The Apostle Paul warns about this desire, this uh, craving to to love money. Look what he says. The Apostle Paul's big idea is we got to understand most rich people aren't good at being rich. Why? Because uh, money is a powerful influence on your life. Uh, Recently, I had a family member who passed away and I uh, caught up in all the family gossip uh, that there's going to be all sorts of division and strife and breaking up of some family relationships based on the family member that passed away, the will and the money that's left. And certain people didn't make it on the list. And so now it's this big upheaval. You ever been there before? Money can ruin people. Most people, with more money you have, you'll find the harder it gets to follow and love Jesus. Money has a powerful tool and most people don't know how to be good at it. It's interesting too about not being good at it because there's kind of this myth that have you ever prayed something like this? God, if you would allow me to gain more wealth or give me a better income, I'd be all the more generous towards you. The average churchgoer makes uh, in America uh, $50,000 roughly and they give about 6% of their income. But the average churchgoer who makes about $200,000 gives only 4%. So here's this interesting reality, Mythbuster. The more you have, you think the more generous you'll be. Actually, the more you have, the more temptation for greed, jealousy, coveting, idolatry, all of that comes into play. Money is not a good master. Jesus is. And so this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna see the Apostle Paul breaks out a very practical theology, and we're gonna be working on that the next few weeks to debunk the American dream and relook at what Jesus's dream is for us to manage wealth and resources and riches. I want us to start going on more mission trips. I want us to see how rich we are. I pray that this summer you would take the opportunity to go on a mission trip, go to the Dominican Republic, go downtown Phoenix with me, uh, go to Los Angeles, go to Nepal, take a trip outside of the North Valley. Expose your family to the reality of the world around you. Realize how blessed you are, how much God has given us. 
Money's not the big issue. The love of money is the biggest issue. But the more money you have, the more temptation you have to place your affections and love on money and not the master. Look what it says. For the love of money, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. A root is underground. So your issue, your problem with your affectionate disposition towards an American dream is a root issue. It's a problem. And today, as I'm exposing that, you may get offended. You may get bothered a little bit about it. But I want you to be patient and walk through this. Let's look at the clarity of Scripture. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul exhorted the first century church to understand about money and, the, and how to handle wealth. And let's see how we can get in line with God's design and glorify him, enjoy everything he gives us for good and godly purposes. He says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He uses that, uh, that terminology, and we're gonna see that consistent in his other discu- discussion, descriptions, and exhortations about teaching and finances in the weeks to come as well. Um, he says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, literally, left the church, left their faith, left Christianity, left Jesus because they pursued money so much, they found that it was like oil and water, it just didn't mix. And they pierced themselves with many pangs. See, the Apostle Paul was an elitist, intellectually, educationally, in many forms and fashions, and then he comes, he has this conversion experience and so he well, then begins to reorient and the, the ragtag group of people that follow Jesus by and large are not wealthy, wealthy people. Um, Jesus, Christianity took a movement through the poor in many regards. Doesn't mean that wealthy people weren't a part of that movement that spread throughout the Roman Empire. But by and large, there was a poor movement. And Jesus speaks a lot about this issue of how we perceive and understand and manage money and so does God's word all entirely. The love of money is the root problem. That's what we're going to be going after here this morning. So how do we deal with that? You need to do this, take up an incredibly biblical formula to apply on a weekly basis that godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Do you struggle with contentment? Are you always wanting something else? Bible says that godliness plus contentment is great gain. Not godliness plus more stuff equals great gain. It's being content. Look what the apostle Paul says to his young protege, Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. He reminds Timothy, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. I heard a, a recent uh, survey and study about a young married couples. Um, they uh, did a survey to find out when were they the most happy in their life. And the survey came back and it was not when they had a more advanced careers, not when they had their, finally got their first home and their cards paid off. It was actually when they were, they were young married and they were broke. They didn't have much at all. The more you have, the more you have to manage and the more you manage, the more stress that can bring. I'm not advocating that you go off and be a monk and hide out in uh, Crown King or something like that. I'm just saying that the more you have, if you know any monks up there, let me know. Uh, but I'm just saying you, 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 you got to kind of like arrest your heart from time to time and just say, wait a second. 
I don't, I don't want to go wild into this pursuit of, you know, like for me, like I really want a Jeep. I really want a Jeep so bad. I've been wanting a Jeep for so long. But right now in my family, it's not a good time. It's not a good time financially. We've got goals and steps and a plan and a process. And we understand debt ratios to our family income and our budget and all that stuff. So we're gonna pace this thing out and delay our desires. Um, If I get a Jeep next week, you can come get me and say, what's your problem, Ryan? You didn't do it. No, I, I think I've got, we've got, so we've got a couple more years, maybe a year, we'll see. But the reality is, is that uh, contentment, that's a big issue in our culture. Are you content? Do you have to have more to be content? More health, more play, more leisure, more pay? What is it gonna take? When Leslie and I were first married, I remember we were uh, in the kitchen, I was in college, and uh, there was this old song that would come, out, come on. We were, didn't have very much money at all. Literally, my paycheck for the year was around $23,000. And that was 14 years ago. And I was a college student. And that's all I could afford to work because I was in full-time school. And I was working at a church. And we didn't have hardly any money. And I remember when they gave me a raise, I just like cried because I was like, man, this is not enough money. <laughs> I'm going to die, Lord. But there was a sense of joy and happiness just being what I would say, you know, for our American standards. I just, I didn't feel, we didn't have a whole lot. Um, I remember dancing in the kitchen with my wife. Imagine that, I'm dancing. That's not very good, but I was dancing with my wife and we're listening to Ann Murray, Danny's song. It's an old song. And there was this line in there and it says, I'm so in love with you, honey, even though we, or even though we ain't got money, I'm so in love with you, honey. Um, that's true. You don't need money to find love. You don't need money to find joy. This is what Jesus says. He says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life isn't found in your stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong, the Apostle Paul and Jesus aren't condemning wealth or uh, having things. In fact, the Apostle Paul will talk about saying uh, as well to Timothy, he'll say, if, if there's people in the church and they don't even know how to gain an income to take care of their family, they're worse than an unbeliever. You've got to learn how to generate income to take care of the needs of your family, Amen. You got to pay bills. You got to take care of your kids. You got to provide housing, all that stuff. But when money becomes your master, you got a big problem. When love, the issue of do you love money, that's where you better watch it. Here's what we're going to learn. Those who desire, number three, those who desire to be rich are dangerous people. It says, but those who desire, Paul says, those who desire to be rich, listen, Timothy, he says, they're gonna fall into temptation, a snare. They will trip you up into many senseless and harmful desires. And by the way, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Lots of money can make you a a madman or a mad woman, make you a bad person. You gotta be careful. The more money you have and the more you love it, the greater the temptation and the trials you'll face. Here's the 
just the outline of the scripture, what the apostle Paul says. If you desire to be rich, meaning you just find yourself constantly saying, I need to be rich, rich, rich. I want to raise my standard of living. Raise it, raise it, raise it, raise it. I'm just saying you're dangerous. And anytime I have a desire like that myself, I got to have that Jeep. I got to have this. I got to have, hey, my, my iPhone's wearing out. I, you know, they just came up with a new a model. You know, I need to get a new one. Um, if there's this constant desire to have more, 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 more wealth, more money, your desire is in question and you find yourself dangerous. Here's what happens. You fall into temptation and snares, senseless and harmful desires. You plunge people into ruin and destruction. Literally. It's not that you just cause harm to yourself, but when you start giving into this evil desire to to really just do whatever it takes to get more, 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 more money, and that becomes your main deal, then you're not only going to hurt yourself, but you're actually going to hurt people around you. I mean, how many of you know that you got your priorities out of line in your own family, in your own heart, where you've sacrificed the family on the altar of success? Where you sacrificed the priority and the commitment of learning to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you've, you, you distance yourself from neighborhood groups, you distance yourself from service, you distance yourself from church attendance because you're just too busy. Well, what if... What if nobody checked in on you and you just go run that route? Just go do that. Just go and busy yourself as much as you want and get, a, get rid of the critics who are telling you to be careful about your pursuit of success in the American dream. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. You're going to fall into all sorts of temptations because you're going to be alone. Your family's going to miss you. You're going to step into all sorts of snares most affairs happen in the workplace with men that, that sacrifice everything on the altar of success. Senseless and harmful desires, plunging people into ruin and destruction. So what's the problem? Is it money? No, it's the love of money. Number four, the root of all evil is the love of money. It's the love of money. That's the problem. And it lends itself to all kinds of other evils. Let me ask you a question. The, the idea of money being the root, a root of all kinds of evil, that's a, what do you believe about money? What's really do you believe? And it, you can't think about it right here on a surface level. You'll have a knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, I believe money is a good tool to use, blah, blah, blah. Or you might go, oh, well, money is a good thing. Or you might say, oh, money is evil. Well, like, what does the Bible say about it? The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. So what you have to do when Paul uses that terminology of root, it's the idea, it's under the surface. So there's no way you're getting out of here today with absolute clarity. You need to do some root work. You need to investigate what's under the surface of your life. We're not analyzing the fruit of your beliefs, we're analyzing the root of your beliefs, the core of your beliefs. I'm hoping to reshape your thinking and your theology on how you view money and how you see yourself being good at being wealthy and rich because you are in global comparisons. And that's exactly what Paul was pushing at with Timothy. He says, hey, 
As for the rich in this present age, teach them not to set their hopes on riches, but to set their hopes on on God who provides richly for them. My exhortation to you is Christ-centered ambition, to learn to love God more. Jesus says, be careful, you can't compete. You, You can't love Jesus and you can't love money all at the same time. Here's what Matthew 6, 24 says. Uh, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Why? Because money is a bad master. If you're enslaved to that desire, constantly wanting more, 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 it's a bad master. Jesus says, for either you, he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. If money becomes your main deal, then you'll either despise Jesus or hate Jesus. You cannot serve God and money. There's no way you can do it. It's like oil and water. They separate. They just don't mix. The reality is, is that we live in a time of where we're, we're being communicated more, more, more is what we need. And Jesus uses an interesting word right there when he says money, it is the word mammon. And it's a Greek word and it means, literally, it means wealth or profit. But Jesus uses this only in the Gospel of Matthew and in Luke. It occurs twice in the New Testament. And Jesus sees it as this egocentric, self-centeredism of coveting, which will in turn claim the heart and the allegiance of the person and separate them from God. And so I'm sitting here thinking, man, if I desire to have more, 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 when I want that Jeep, when I want that new iPhone, when I want this new thing, whatever it may be, I'm starting to ask God, God, will you arrest my heart? Because I am rich in comparison to the world around and rich people have great temptations. And the temptation is not to love God more, it's to love God less. And so, we need to realize that those who desire to be rich or those who desire to have more, more, more are dangerous. And Jesus says, you cannot do it. You can't serve God and you can't serve money. Fifth thing we're gonna learn is that the love of money is like a bad root that produces bad fruit. This morning, what we're predominantly dealing with is trying to uncover your, your root system of what you believe and what's going on under the surface. The Apostle Paul highlights, though, some bad fruit. The effects, if, you're, if you have uh, rooted into loving money accidentally, unintentionally, or intentionally, the results are bad. So this is what he says. Look what it says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So that's the outcome. If there's a love of money in your life, then the outcome is, is that it will produce all kinds kinds of evils. It is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Look what the apostle Paul says there. He says, wandered away from the faith. That means that they've literally distanced themselves away from a faith community and they've kind of wandered away. Maybe it was slow and then it picked up over time with greater speed where it was, yeah, no, I'm still a part of the faith community, but I got this, I'm so busy at work. I'm so busy with this. You know, we just need this one more vacation. We need this, we need that. And they wander away from the faith 
Why? Because money becomes the new master. And then what the Apostle Paul says is that uh, when you wander away from the faith, he's going to describe it in a sense here. It's like idolatry. It means basically what you're choosing is you're choosing to separate yourself from the faith if you give in to this love of money and you pursue more, more, more all the time simply for a self-centered ambition, not a Christ-centered ambition, so that you can get, get more, not necessarily give more, then you're gonna find yourself in this position where you're gonna, you can wander away from the faith and find yourself in an idolatrous situation. What is idolatry? Idolatry is when you put anything in front of God. It can be you put your work in front of God. It can be you put your family in front of God. Jesus says, here's the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. Your greatest responsibility in life as a Christian is to learn how to love God. Why? Because only he can help you become everything he intended you to become. And until you get that worked out, it's gonna be really, really hard. It's a continual battle. But wandering away from the faith can lead us to idolatry. And he says, pierce themselves. What does that mean? Specifically, the apostle Paul's already talked about contentment and discontentment. When you're discontent, you, it's like you just constantly hurt yourself. It doesn't do any good. It affects your emotions. It stresses you out. You constantly are preoccupied with more, more, more. And the apostle Paul says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And they, people can walk away from the faith. There's this craving and they can pierce themselves. It's painful to be caught up in, in a constant uh, endless uh, treadmill of trying to keep up with everything like the American dream is perpetuating can exhaust you and leave you incredibly discontent. And then he says there's many pangs. These are pains. These are pain of jealousy or greed or coveting. If you love money, you'll find yourself constantly jealous or comparing yourself constantly to other people who have more and you'll be jealous for it. Or greedy, you can cut corners and become somebody you don't want to become. Or covet, you constantly want something that's not yours. And so what is the solution? What is the antidote for us to have the right perspective? The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says, as for the rich in the present age, look at this, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't buy into the American dream. Don't buy in that more is always better. He says this, but on God, that's where your focus ought to be for the rich, on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So here's the take home. I hope that you recite this in your uh, week. I hope that you pray this as the temptation comes. I encourage you to arrest your dangerous desires for more, that you arrest them because you are rich in global comparison. And your temptation is what the Apostle Paul's talking about here. These are the temptations that you've got to deal with. I'm not talking to an inner city, impoverished community called North Valley. I'm talking to a, a community that has more than enough, that is rich by global comparisons. 
And I, I ask that you take into deep consideration on where we're going to prioritize our affection or love, that we would take into deliberate action to go, I want to stop. And every time I have a desire for more, 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 I would arrest that. And I'd say, God, what do you want? Here's a great phrase to recite and remember. I will not love riches, but I will love the one who richly provides. Let's say that out loud. I will not love riches, but I will love the one who richly provides. Let me show you again that passage. That's where this comes from. 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them. That's me charging you, telling you, listen, guys, don't be haughty or arrogant. You're rich. Don't don't use your wealth to signify your status. Be humble. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't overdo yourself, overextend yourself. Hello, Arizona. Did we not do that in the Great Recession? Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But why don't you do this? Set your hope, set your heart on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Amen? I want to show you a video of a friend of mine who's gone through the struggle and the tension of loving money and loving God. Check this out. I grew up in a loving home, but money wasn't a frequent topic of discussion. And when it was, it was negative, and it was about debt. So I grew up believing that money was the root of all evil. Still, I sought to glorify myself through money and decided to move to Arizona and become a professional golfer. Instead, I became a professional drinking Coors Light and spending all the money that I had saved for college. And soon I was completely in debt, sitting in my dorm room eating Top Ramen, wondering why I had failed so miserably. I decided to work myself out of it by working a job at a golf course cleaning clubs. And soon I was in a good position but then I discovered credit cards. And soon I put myself in credit card debt, believing that if I went out to the clubs and spent more money, the people would like me and I'd be happier. That was a big mistake. Then I was lucky enough to meet my wife and start a family. And I got a job at a financial firm and started making good money. And soon we were out of debt and we were in good position. But then it happened a third time. I decided to start a business to make even more money, but instead of researching and building infrastructure, I went all in and spent everything we had. And we were up to credit card debt so high, I didn't think we could ever get out of it. I remember thinking, how could I have done this? Why did I put myself in this position? And what would I tell my wife when we couldn't go on vacation and we couldn't get my kids the things that we wanted? Simply put, I was looking to glorify myself before God. My love of money was what hurt, was hurting us, not the money itself. And before I could actually have earthly riches, I needed to find the riches in God's word. And so I was baptized and saved last year. And as I started to read the scripture, I started to realize uh, the steps that I needed to take. So my wife and I created a spending plan and we're sticking to it, learning how to become good stewards. Right now we're out of credit card debt and hope to become completely debt-free in the future by God's grace.
Hey, you know, the cool thing is, is Will is a part of our church, and I had the privilege to baptize him last year and seeing him, uh, just God work in his life. And when he got baptized, he didn't just bat- get baptized and change his life. It changed his everything. And uh, I want to encourage you. The, we're going to sing a song called uh, Amazing Grace. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and stand up. And I want you to know about the great riches that God offers us. Uh, many of you made a lot of mistakes financially. And we're going to claim the grace of God over your life uh, in this singing of this song. That God's eternal riches far outweigh earthly riches. We have a great hope. We have a great God who extends grace to us all, transforms and renews the heart and the mind and the soul. And so I want to encourage you too, on a practical level, think about that spending plan. Uh, Will's going to actually be facilitating a, 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 a class uh, over at Elevate in the weeks to come. You can sign up online on creating a spending plan that saved his life. So Let me pray and we're going to continue in worship. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the clarity of your scripture, the goodness of your grace, and the majesty that we find in just living a life that's, Lord, mysteriously uh, taking steps of faith to figure out how to live each day. Bless North Valley, God. Bless their families. Bless, Bless their home. Bless their businesses. To glorify you, to do good in the community and their own homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.